Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is, wherever you are tuning in. My name is Chris Luard, and thank you so much for joining me today uh, for this Dharma talk on compassion. And so today I'm going to try to limit the talk to um, the topic of self-compassion, although we'll see uh, if that works out that way. Uh, but that's where I'm going to try to focus. Now, before I get into the bulk of the talk, I do have a couple of announcements. Um, the first being um, uh, that I'm happy to announce that I'm offering an online uh, meditation retreat. This is the spring retreat offering. Uh, and it's, it is a retreat into compassion. I'm calling it Kuan Yin. Kuan Yin is the bodhisattva of compassion in the Buddhist tradition. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Kuan Yin uh, later in this presentation, hopefully, we get there. So this is going to be really a beautiful offering. It's eight weeks long uh, from Sunday, March 22nd to May 13th, 2021. Uh, we meet twice a week over Zoom for roughly anywhere from 90 minutes to two hours. Uh, we'll be meeting on Sunday and Thursday evenings at 9 p.m. East Coast time, the United States. If you're here in Asia, Australia, New Zealand, uh, that's on Mondays and Fridays. Now, if you're hesitant to sign up for the retreat due to conflict in schedule, all of the sessions will be recorded and made available only to the retreat participants. So if you have to miss several sessions or just one session, it's no problem. Uh, you can keep up on your own time uh, with the retreat uh, in that way. I have actually had participants sign up for the retreats who, who didn't make any of the live sessions and they kept up uh, with the retreat in their own, own schedule and it's fine to do that. Uh, included in the, in the retreat price uh, will be uh, two one-on-one -on -one sessions. So you'll get to meet with me twice over the course of the eight weeks. Uh, and so uh, that might be a, an added incentive uh, to sign up there. The second uh, announcement is that I am currently accepting applications for one-on-one -on -one sessions. So if you're new to meditation and would really like to uh, establish a firm uh, habit of meditation practice, um, great, you're welcome. If you ha already have a meditation practice and you'd like to take a deeper dive with uh, an instructor one-on-one, -on -one, uh, I welcome that as well. Uh, so for more information about the one-on-one -on -one sessions and for the retreat, uh, go to my website www.suchsweetthunder.org. Uh, if you're looking for the retreat, there's a retreat and programs page. And if you're looking for the one-on-one -on -one sessions, uh, there's the online studies page. So that's all the announcements I think I want to make. That wasn't too bad. That took about two minutes. <laughs> so um, before we get into the bulk of the talk, I would just like to uh, guide a brief meditation just as a way of setting the stage. It's really a wonderful way to open into a talk. 
It allows everything to settle. Uh, and the invitation will be allow the heart to open. Uh, and so allowing the words that I'll be offering uh, to uh, land in the open heart. And so this is just an invitation. If you wish to not meditate now, that's fine. Uh, just go get a drink, uh, take a walk, come back. Uh, this meditation will take maybe five minutes. If you're watching this on recording, uh, of course, you can fast forward and scroll ahead. But I hope you'll join me for this brief guided meditation into the present moment. So the invitation is now to allow the body, mind, and heart to rest. Just coming into this present moment and we'll scan our present moment experience for various points of contact. And starting with the breath, you might notice how the breath enters and leaves the nose. There might be sensations in or around the nostrils, perhaps a cool or a dry sensation there. You might notice the breath as it touches the back of the throat, perhaps simply noticing the temperature changing from cooler to warmer as you inhale and exhale. You might also notice the rib cage expanding and contracting with each breath. The rising and falling of the abdomen as you inhale and exhale. Noticing the back moving out as you breathe in and in as you breathe out. The shoulders rising and falling with each breath. You might also notice sensations arising from the feet. There might be sensations of clothing against the legs. And here the invitation is to invite the muscles in the feet and the legs to grow soft, relax and rest. You might notice the weight of the body against the cushion or chair, mat or floor. Inviting the muscles underneath those sensations to rest. There might be sensations of clothing against the back, inviting the muscles in the back to grow soft and unwind. And perhaps noticing the hands resting against the body or touching each other, the arms resting against the body. Inviting the hands and arms to relax and unwind. 
You might also notice sensations arising as clothing against the shoulders, inviting the muscles in the shoulders to grow soft and rest. Sensations arising throughout the back of the neck, inviting the muscles in the back of the neck to relax. You might also notice sensations arising throughout the cheeks of the face, inviting the muscles in the face to relax and unwind. And noticing any sensations arising from the top of the head. And while resting here, with the breath and the body, the invitation is now to notice any sounds which might be available. Either focusing on one sound or you might want to experience the entire field of sound, noticing all of the sounds all at the same time. As if we were listening to the universe orchestrate the soundtrack of the present moment. And so we'll rest right here just for a few breaths, maintaining open, spacious awareness on the sounds, silence, sensations of body and breath, and just rest. And if you become distracted by thoughts, simply notice the distraction and gently bring your awareness back to the present moment experience. Breath and body, sound and silence, and just rest. And in a few moments, we'll pivot back out of the meditation practice and into a conversational space. And I'll cue that by ringing the bell three times. So thank you for joining me 
in that guided meditation. If you wish to uh, remain in meditation a little bit longer, you're free to pause uh, the recording if you're listening back on a recording. Pause the recording here and you're free to meditate as long as you wish. If you're here with me live, that's great. Thanks for joining me. And uh, let's go. Let's move <laughs> into our offering today on compassion. Now, uh, if you've been with me at some of my talks, you know I like to uh, kind of set the table with uh, an inspiring reading or two. And so I'll do that today. I've selected a couple of readings from a couple of different traditions. And the first comes from St. Francis of Assisi, the prayer of St. Francis. What a beautiful, beautiful uh, words of compassion. Lord, make me an instrument of peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, let me sow pardon. Where there is doubt, let me sow faith. Where there is despair, let me sow hope. Where there is darkness, let me sow light. Where there is sadness, let me sow joy. Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, not so much to be understood as to understand, not, not, not so much to be loved as to love. For it is in the giving that we receive, and it is in the pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Now, I came across the prayer of St. Francis, uh, I guess about three or four years ago. And I had already been practicing uh, meditation practices, mostly in the Buddhist tradition. Uh, for about 30 years by that point. And I, I had another uh, prayer uh, by the Indian monk Shantideva from the 8th century in the Buddhist tradition uh, that I used to work with when I was working with compassion. And I always came back to this prayer. It's so uh, striking. And what I noticed when I came across the prayer of St. Francis was how similar the words were. And so... I thought I would offer Shanti Deva's prayer here as well. May I become at all times, both now and forever, a protector for those without protection, a guide for those who have lost their way, a ship for those with oceans to cross, a bridge for those with rivers to cross, a sanctuary for those in danger, a lamp for those without a light, a place of refuge for those who lack shelter, and a servant to all in need. For as long as space endures, and for as long as living beings remain, 
Until then, may I too abide to dispel the misery of the world. And so both of these prayers from two different traditions, East and West, coming together, and a carrion cry for compassion. And when we read these prayers from St. Francis or from Shantideva, we can see their dedication to alleviate suffering for others. It's quite plain to see, right? It's just there, a protector for those without protection. Or may I so love where there is hatred and so forth. But what I recently was struck by was how we could also use these works of art, these great works of poetry, for self-compassion. When we, ourself, are without protection, can we offer ourself that protection? When we, ourselves have lost our way, can we be our own guide? When we are feeling hatred, can we sow love in our own heart? When we are in doubt, can we sow faith in our own hearts? And so the great invitation here is to use these poems, these works of poetry, and we, we see how we could offer joy to a loved one who is feeling sad, light to a loved one who is feeling darkness, and then, yeah, what if that was me? Wouldn't I want somebody to offer that to me as well? Wouldn't I want somebody to offer me pardon when I was injured or joy when I was in sadness? And so the invitation here is we can be our own best friend. We can be our own lamp when we're without light. We can be our own servant when we need a servant. We can be our own refuge when we lack shelter. And so that's what these practices are really designed to do. To become our own refuge, our own sanctuary, our own space of compassion. And in that, in that cultivation, we cultivate the space to hold others in their struggle. We cultivate the ability to be with other people in their suffering without falling into our habitual reactive patterns. And that's really the key, <laughs> right? I think we all know you know, how often do we turn on the news and we just, you know, shudder and walk away. We go into the kitchen and get a, a glass of orange juice and then walk upstairs to go meditate. <laughs> or whatever it is that we do, we tune it out. We don't want that. 
with the practices of compassion, we cultivate the ability to, to bring ourselves near to the struggle of others, to the suffering of others, so that we can hold space for that pain, so that we too can be that sanctuary for those in need. And so, last session, I briefly talked about how compassion is actually our innate nature. It's the innate nature of all sentient beings. And that's true. I'll just mention that again, how you'll notice that when we're struggling, notice what we're struggling with, the feeling there, and then notice the desire to be free from that struggle. That desire to be free from that struggle is our innate compassion. It's the uniting factor in all sentient beings. We all want to be free from struggle. And so if compassion is a part of our natural basic human goodness, as it's called in some Buddhist traditions, our basic human goodness, if that's true, then why does it take practice to cultivate this ability to rest when there's pain or to open when there's struggle? And according to many evolutionary biologists and scientists and neuroscientists, neurophysicists, this tendency to shut down in the face of pain, to, to, to block any sense of struggle, comes to us through our evolutionary process. Survival of the fittest. Over millions and millions of years, as a species, we evolved this desire to push away the painful, a desire to push away the struggle, and to grasp at what we feel is comforting. That's absolutely normal and natural. There's nothing wrong with that. But the fact that that's become habitually ingrained in our nervous system, and we've outgrown that need, we don't need to do that any longer. And we all know how healing it is when we can hold space for our own suffering, for our own pain. That's the way to freedom. That's how we heal. If we have pain come up, if we have struggle come up, physical, emotional, or spiritual, and we continue that pushing away, pushing away, closing down, closing down, we never get the chance to heal that wound. And unfortunately, <laughs> I wish that worked, but unfortunately what tends to happen then is it becomes sublimated into our unconscious and it forever controls our destiny. And so Carl Jung so aptly pointed out 
that which we make that that which we don't make conscious will control us and I'm paraphrasing there that's not a direct translation and so here we give ourselves this space when we practice self-compassion we give ourselves this space to accept ourselves just as we are. And so part of the formal meditation practices that I'll be offering on the retreat that I mentioned at the beginning of this talk, we'll go into the silence of meditation and we'll offer phrases to our own heart. The first phrase is, may I be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. And we worked with that phrase a few days ago. The second phrase is, may I be free from disturbance and harm, which actually gives a little more granularity to the map. Free from disturbance and harm. Those are some of the causes and conditions which give rise to our suffering, right? And the third phrase, may I accept things just as they are. This is really powerful. For me, this phrase, this phrase and the move to accept things just as they are, that's the heart of compassion. And how often when we're, you know, getting dressed in the morning, we look in the mirror, we immediately start po pointing out our own faults to ourselves. Maybe just stopping right there and say, may I accept things just as they are? You might notice when you do that, there's a softening around the heart or in the shoulders or in the abdomen. Notice how your body responds to that. I had a really clear experience of this actually yesterday. So, as some of you know, I, I recently had surgery. It wasn't major surgery. It was, I, I don't think it was minor either. It was There's a lot of discomfort involved and uh, my mobility has been quite limited in the past few weeks. But I managed to venture out to the grocery store yesterday and there was a lot of you know, well, walking very slowly, let's say, <laughs> through the grocery store and through the aisles and to the grocery store. And, you know, some physical discomfort was there. And so I'm noting the discomfort, pain, discomfort, pain as I'm walking. But in the back of my mind, there's this, oh, you know, when is this going to be over? When am I going to heal? When am I going to recover? And I remembered this phrase, may I accept things just as they are. And as soon as I remembered that phrase, and I, I actually whispered it to myself, the whole experience of that moment changed completely. Literally changed everything. My whole body softened. I wasn't able to walk any faster and the discomfort was still there. 
But my experience of that discomfort was completely different. There was no more struggle against what was. There was no way that I could walk any different to alleviate that, that pain anyway. And I was going to the grocery store. And as soon as I said, may I accept things just as they are, literally, it, the change was so dramatic that m my visual field changed. The colors in my visual field started to pop. The sounds of the traffic moving by, of the people talking, became more crystallized. There was a sense of lightness. And actually, my whole mood changed. I actually was in a rather grumpy mood, as you can imagine. And, and may I accept things just as they are. And in a few minutes, there was this whole shift as I was working with that phrase throughout the rest of my voyage to buy my groceries. So it's our habitual tendency to get attached to what arises in our experience, whether it's unpleasant, if it's unpleasant, we get attached and then we, we want to push it away right away. There's no possibility for the experience of compassion in that. We just shut it off. No possibility for healing. When things arise that are pleasant, we fall into attraction right away. We want that. We chase that. That's our habitual tendency. So when we work with this, may I accept things just as they are, we're really working with that tendency. And if we catch ourselves pursuing something pleasurable, we accept that just as it is. We accept that with compassion. And so I just want to mention one other really uh, beautiful practice uh, that can help one cultivate self-compassion. This is called the practice of RAIN. Now, I learned this practice from the meditation teacher, uh, Tara Brock. Uh, but this practice goes back uh, 30 or 40 years, I think, to the 70s. And it, it, I think it originally uh, was introduced in the insight uh, meditation tradition in America, North America. So RAIN is an acronym, and it stands for Recognize, Allow, Investigate, and Nurture. And so we go into, the, if you're doing this in meditation, in formal meditation, you would spend some minutes coming into the present moment, just like we did at the beginning of this uh, episode today, this session today. And then you just take a few minutes, maybe just a minute, maybe a little longer, to recognize what's happening in the present moment. And so the invitation would be to bring up, if you're working with self-compassion, 
to bring up any kind of uh, recent experience that caused you some discomfort. It could be physical discomfort or emotional discomfort. And you wouldn't want to work with something too painful, but work with something rather light, especially if you're new to this practice. And so visualizing or just recalling this experience of discomfort and then recognizing the emotions that arise as this discomfort is held in the mind's eye. It might be fear or anger or hatred, craving, desire, whatever it is. It might be multiple emotional experiences and that's quite normal and fine. And we just name them. The second is the A, the allow stage of the RAIN practice. And in that stage, one uh, welcomes those emotions in as if you were kind of setting the table for them to come and dine with us. Say, welcome. Yeah, my anger, yeah, you're totally welcome here. It makes sense that you're here and so forth. And so you open your arms to what's in the present moment. The eye of the RAIN practice is to investigate. And here we actually go into the body and notice the physical bodily sensations of whatever's arising. So if, there, if it's anger, there might be a warmth, like a kind of an uncomfortable heat, a flushed face perhaps, or a light perspiration. There might be a clenching in the jaw or the abdomen. And just noting whatever physical sensations are there. We don't want to struggle or fight against any of that. Again, the allow stage. So just noting, allowing, investigating. And then we nurture. We let everything go. And we ask, what do we need right now to feel better? This could be some words of comfort or wisdom. And just allow yourself to nurture. It could just be holding that open space of awareness for the emotion that arose, or the emotions that arose, the feelings that are there. Just be that light for the lamp, or be the lamp if you need that light as Shantideva would say. Be that boat for those who wish to cross, for yourself. And so I want to emphasize here that aspect of non-judging. We want to be able to recognize and allow, investigate and nurture without any sort of judgment of right or wrong. It's really this embarking on this practice of self-compassion is a healing modality and we want to use it as such. So judgment won't help us in healing. So we want to let that tendency to judge ourselves go, really allow the practice to unfold in such a way so we can access that healing. And so we're not gonna do a RAIN practice today um, 
here in this session. Um, but if you do join me on the retreat, and I hope you will, uh, we'll be diving deep into the RAIN practice. I also have some recordings on my podcast channel on YouTube uh, as well, where I do guide uh, the RAIN meditation in different forms, uh, and they're all for free. So feel, feel free to make yourself at home on the website, on the YouTube channel, uh, and uh, enjoy a RAIN meditation there. So I just want to close by telling a story. <laughs> Stories are great ways of teaching because they allow us to really visualize and use our imagination to dive deep into uh, the lesson at hand. So this is the story of Kuan Yin. Now Kuan Yin is the Bodhisattva of compassion in the Buddhist tradition. Now, Kuan Yin shows up in the Buddhist tradition in China. Actually, Kuan Yin, the name Kuan Yin, is a Chinese name. It means uh, to hear the cries of the universe. Wow. And just that name, to hear the cries of the universe, uh, it's just such a call to compassion, right? So here's Kuan Yin, and she shows up in China around the 2nd century A.D., first or second century AD as the Bodhisattva of Compassion. A Bodhisattva is simply a person who dedicates their life to alleviate the discomfort and suffering of others. They embark on a spiritual practice to cultivate the skill to do that. And so one, in order to enter the Bodhisattva path, one has to uh, take a bodhisattva vow, or at least they're expected to take a vow. They would do that in front of their teacher. I've taken a bodhisattva vow myself, and many, many other spiritual practitioners take a vow, a similar vow. And it might sound something like this, like I vow to uh, use all of my resources to alleviate the discomfort and suffering of others. Now, and there's always a personal touch to the vow. So Kuan Yin's vow was, I vow to return lifetime after lifetime to alleviate the suffering of others and never to fall into despair. And so Kuan Yin sets out to begin this task of alleviating the suffering of others. And she starts on planet Earth. And she works lifetime after lifetime over eons and eons, alleviating all different kinds of suffering that we experience as humans and animals on planet Earth. She's very successful at doing this, and she never once falls into despair. And then Kuan Yin goes to the hell realms, and she's working with the poor tormented souls and the, not only the souls that have been cast down to hell, but the devils and demons that hold court in those realms. She's working to alleviate all of the suffering in the hell realms. You can imagine what kind of task that might have been, right? Yet she never falls into despair. 
And then Kuan Yin goes to the heavenly realms and starts working with the suffering of the angels and the gods and the heavens. And when I tell this story, I often get asked the question, well, that's weird. What kind of suffering do gods and angels experience? And according to the Buddhist traditions, uh, the gods and angels, uh, well, their lives are impermanent just like ours. Their lives are very long. They might live for centuries, but eventually their lives to end. They breathe their final breath. And so the gods and angels suffer from the fear of change because their lives are so comfortable, and so cushy, that they fear that any moment it could all end. And so they suffer from the fear of change. And so Kuan Yin's there in, in heavens, uh, working with the gods and angels with their fear of change. And she happens to glance down at planet Earth. And much to her surprise, she sees that there's more suffering, more division, more racism, more sexism, more discrimination, more hatred, more anger, more violence than when she left. And she looks down and falls into despair. She raises her hands up in despair and she says, oh, what's the point? And as soon as she says, what's the point, her head explodes into thousands of pieces. She's cast out of the heavenly realm and she, thump, falls on the surface of the earth, head in thousands of pieces. Now, when Kuan Yin finally regains her consciousness, she sees, standing at her feet, her teacher, the Buddha Amitabha. And the Buddha leans down in front of Kuan Yin and says, you know, Kuan Yin, hey, everything was going so well, what happened? Kuan Yin says, I don't know, I, I must have fallen into despair. And the Buddha Amitabha says, yeah, I think you probably did. Let's see what we can do here. How would you like to proceed? What would you like to do now? What's the next course of action? And Kuan Yin says, well, I was really enjoying my work as a bodhisattva, helping all of these beings with their suffering. So I'd really like to return to that job and renew my vow. The Buddha says, okay, let's see what we can do. And so together, they mold the shards of Kuan Yin's shattered head into arms. And they rename her Avilokteshvara. Avilokteshvara in Sanskrit means the one who looks down. Now, this doesn't mean the one who looks down in a condescending fashion, but rather it's the one who looks down with the compassion of a grandmother said in the text, a grandmotherly-like compassion. Because Avilokiteshvara, in many uh, images, you'll see Avilokiteshvara with the thousands of arms and the 12 heads, so looking down with those 12 heads. And I'll see if I can get all 12 heads right. Some of them have nine heads, some have 11 heads, some have 12 heads. 
And so it's the Buddha, the Buddha looking uh, north, east, south, and west. That's the four heads at the bottom. Above that, the Buddha looking uh, uh, oh, north, east, south, west. Uh, is it, what is it? Oh, past, it's present. Boom, there's four above that. Anyway, I'm not going to get the heads. <laughs> it's the Buddha of the future, present, and past. That's not right, though. Anyway, forget about the heads for now. <laughs> the real point of the story is the arms, at least for, for, for now, uh, in the story the way I'm telling it. Uh, so the arms, there are thousands of arms, and in the, in the uh, palm of each arm, in the hand, there's an eye. That re represents thousands of ways of seeing the truth. And so we can again see how this relates to the compassion of others, right? We want to, you know, because how often do we fall into dogma, right? My truth is better than your truth. We see all the suffering that this is causing around the world today. Very easy to relate to that. Looking at it through the lens of self-compassion, remember the story I just told how I was hobbling along to the grocery store. That was one truth. That was the truth of that, my experience. And that truth was causing suffering. But let's, I, I said, let's switch the hand. Let's look at this through a different lens. Let me accept things just as they are. That's another truth. And so we always have this option. There are thousands of ways of seeing this present moment. That is a real, true move towards self-compassion is to cultivate the ability to do that. And so I think I want to close there. Actually, I do want to say one more thing about the story of Kuan Yin. So if you remember, as a few moments ago, her head exploded into a thousand pieces because she fell into despair. Now, I mentioned earlier in the talk, one great way of working with compassion is to watch the news and see how you respond to that. And just there, that's a really tall order, right? I don't know about you all, but when I turn on the news, I frequently fall into despair. And it almost feels like, you know, you watch 10 minutes of the news and your head is gonna explode, right? <laughs> so rather than allowing that to happen, the antidote of despair. Make a step forward out of compassion. Right? Where there is darkness, let me bring light. Let me be a boat for those who wish to cross. And so when we notice our own heart falling into despair, do something kind. Do something compassionate. 
either for yourself or for someone else. Pick up the phone and call a, a family member or a friend you haven't spoken to in a while. Or take yourself to get a massage or read a book that you've been wanting to read. Take some moments for yourself. Have a quiet moment of meditation. And so it's that motion when we feel the despair arising, use that as an alarm bell or as a meditation bell. You feel that despair. Oh, there's despair in my body, in my mind, in my heart. Let me move towards compassion. Let me, it could be something very small. Offer a smile to somebody who needs a smile. Offer a kind word to somebody who could use a kind word. Offer a kind word to yourself if you could use a kind word. A smile to your own heart. May I be a protector for those without protection, including myself. A guide for those who have lost their way, including myself when I lose my way. May I be a ship for those with oceans to cross, including my own oceans to cross. May I be a sanctuary for those in danger, especially when I'm in danger. May I be a lamp for those without a light, particularly when I'm without a light. May I be a place of refuge for those who lack shelter, especially when I lack shelter and a servant to all in need, particularly when I'm in need. Thank you so much for joining me.